So any of you joining us online, welcome to Heart City Church. Um, with Mark, I greet you. Welcome to the final service of 2023. I invite you to turn to James chapter 5 on your bulletins. You'll find it in the middle or on your devices and your Bibles. I'd ask you to silence your phones if you're, they're still on. Um, some of us will actually remember being in James earlier this year. The Lord actually impressed on me to pick up where we left off. I believe this text, by God's grace, will set the plate for us to have a Jesus-glorifying 2024. Will we like that? Amen. Amen. Let me help us lean in with a story of an older man who went to the store to buy groceries. And as he walks to the entrance, he sees a woman placing her small child in the grocery cart. And as she pushed her child by the, you know, the bubblegum machine, the toys there when you first walk in, the child began to yell loudly, Mommy, Mommy, I want, I want! And into this hysteria, the man heard this mom say in a calm but firm voice, Emma, we just arrived. We cannot have a meltdown now. We have the whole store to get through. The man was quite impressed at the mother's composure. A short time later, he noticed them enter the candy aisle. And the child had another tantrum, tears streaming down her little face. Did you see it? Candy, mommy, I've got to have some candy. And again, the mom spoke calmly. Emma, we only have a few aisles to go. Then we can sit down and have a nice lunch. Man got to the end, was in the checkout. And as he was paying, he saw the mom and child pull up behind him. And the child saw all those snacks and goodies and completely lost it. Give me some snacks, I want them now! He watched mom take a deep breath and then say calmly for the third time, Emma, we only have five more minutes, then we can drive home, have lunch, and have a real nice nap. The man walked out pretty amazed. As he finished putting his groceries in the car, he noticed mom putting a child in the car and putting in her groceries, and he just felt compelled to go over there and encourage her. He walked over and said, ma'am, uh, I don't mean to bother you, but I'm just so impressed. Your composure with your daughter is something you don't see often today. Good job. I appreciate just how patient you were with your little daughter, Emma. And the woman looks at him with a puzzled face and says, I'm sorry, sir, <laughs> you're mistaken. My name is Emma, and my daughter's name is Olivia. <laughs> we laugh because patience is painful, and staying steadfast, it's a struggle, isn't it? Sometimes we're like the impulsive child, right? We can't handle delayed gratification. Other times we're like mom, trying simply not to explode at the situation and people around us. Pregnant pause as you think on the last week. Would you like the perspective and the resources to live differently? Welcome to James 5. We'll be starting in verse 7. Let us first pray, though, before we read God's word. Father, how our time is short and our need is great. Will you teach us now to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom? Send your spirit and satisfy our souls with your steadfast love seen in your son, Jesus. Leave none of us here without transformation. 
We ask and pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, take the brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So we just celebrated Christmas, the coming of our Lord Jesus. So what's next, Joel? The answer is the coming of our Lord Jesus, his second coming. Friends, the Lord's return is one of the most important pillars of the Christian faith. Every week we recite the Apostles' Creed, where we confess Jesus coming again to judge the living and the dead. We're joining with 2,000 years of Christian saints who are looking forward to it daily. That's what the apostles taught, what James is teaching here. You realize, and we don't think about this often, do we? We just tend to think things are going to continue on as they always have. But there's coming a day, it may be in our day, maybe in your children's day, maybe in their grandchildren's day, when in an instant, Jesus is going to come down to planet Earth and all this history is done. And a whole new creation is going to begin. Did you notice this is James' concern? How many times did you mention it? Actually, I counted four. Verse 7 and 8, you have Jesus coming mentioned in positive ways. And then verses 9 and 12, James reminds us of Jesus coming in negative ways as warnings, as a judge standing at the door, and then also about the condemnation to come when Judge Jesus arrives. The Bible does this a lot. It gives us both encouragement and warnings. Because some of us need a pick-me-up this morning. Some of us need a kick in the butt. And God deals with us both ways. Sally, you're almost there. Keep up the good work. Billy, get your room cleaned. I'm going to be up there in two minutes. I don't know who you are this morning. But either way, looking forward to Jesus coming will be a huge help to you in 2024. If we're daily conscious of his return, and daily calling on his resources, we will be people of integrity, positioned to impact those around us in our community. And what does that look like? Well, James gives us three ways. I'll give us three headings. First, the practice of patience. Second, the satisfaction of steadfastness. And third, the telling of the truth. The telling of the truth. So let's dig in. Verse seven, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now we have to start with a therefore to see what it's there for. And James started this chapter on a diatribe against the rich, the wicked rich, and the powerful, 
who didn't care about taking advantage of those who were poor and helpless. And now James turns to us and he says, the Lord's coming, be patient. Let's be real. (laughs) Patience is like the least desirable of all the fruits of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. Come on, James, give me some joy like the beginning of the chapter, beginning of the book, or faith, yeah, or love. I mean, that's the spiritual fruit. That's the, that's the strawberries, the mangoes, you know, that's, that's the peaches. Patience, it's like the grapefruit, right, <laughs> of the spiritual fruit. For those of you who like grapefruit, I apologize. But friends, James has something significant to say because... Our neighbors need the fruit of patience from us in 2024. You see, if we're not patient, if Christians aren't patient, they're not going to find this fruit anywhere, period. As we are stepping into 2024, I want you to imagine we're walking out into a world that is all crying out, like Axl Rose in that power ballad. Remember the Guns N' Roses? You need to hear everyone in in our culture saying, All we need is just a little patience. Is it that bad, Joel? Yeah. There has never been a culture unable to produce patience like this one. Never in history. What do you mean, Joel? Modern America is actually geared to produce impatience. And it's wrecking us. Let me give us some reasons. Number one, we're a consumer culture. We're walking stomachs, feed me, right? Our economy is based on our consumption and it rewards companies and retailers who can get us our stuff faster. Retailers now have same day delivery, right? We want one click shopping. And if one company finds a way to get it to you even faster, what happens to those slower companies? Are we patient with them? No, they go out of business. Second thing, our technology, like right here, right? It's all geared to produce instant results. It started with microwave dinners when I was younger, right? Now we have, you used to have to research something in, in libraries, right? Book after book. Now you just surf the web, instant results. We can get all kinds of things done faster. Now they have AI. Phone apps eliminate the need to wait for a food or for a ride. Our technology is all about the now. Lastly, we live in democracy. What happens when we see injustice? We demand immediate change. We march for our rights. We demand them. Now, none of these are bad. I'm not a Luddite. I like Kindle books, and I love freedom of speech. But I want you to see that every single person that you meet this year, they're being discipled daily to be impatient. And what's happening in our families, our schools, our workplaces, when you have nobody who can be patient? Oh, you see the problem? So when you leave here, step number one, don't blow up at that person who honks at you when you don't immediately go when the light turns green, okay? Our neighbors don't know any other way how to live. Get that through our heads. They don't know how to live differently. Patience gets us nowhere fast as a group of modern poets I was listening to the other day. That's their song. But James here is inviting us to a different, a better song. The word for patience in Greek is makrothumia. You don't have to remember that. But it means, actually I like this word, it's the old King James word, long suffering. Long suffering. 
It means to be slow in heated situations, long enduring with those who injure you. Not like Stoics, we simply are stealing our faces right and stuffing down our anger. No, it actually comes because we have a different perspective on every situation and every trial because we're actually living by a different calendar. We have a different calendar, God's calendar. We recognize that we are living in a story, his story, history. And by the way, we've already read the final chapter and we know how the story ends. You ever done that? Been reading a mystery and you're like, man, I've got to look at the end to see who done it here. And then you go back and you're reading through. It changes your, your perspective on every situation, everything going on, right? Because you already know how it's going to turn out. James says, remember the coming of the Lord. You know how this turns out. His whole point is the difference between us and the rest of the world. We're waiting in hope. We have a certain hope. His coming is at hand, verse 8. I know James was writing to an audience almost 2,000 years ago, and they probably assumed they were going to see it in their lifetime, but they didn't. And here we are. And we can wonder, really, God, are you ever going to return? That's why I had Mark read from 2 Peter. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, God is not slow. His perspective on time is different. And guess what? He's being patient with you and with me. Aren't you thankful the Lord didn't return 2,000 years ago? <laughs> We'd have never been born, and we'd never got to know him and discover his love and have a relationship with our great God. Nor would we get the privilege of participating in the greatest rescue mission in all of human history. Getting to join with our God and being patient with others who have yet to know they're greatly known, greatly loved, and that God wants to invite them in to know him. That is why Heart City is here. And I actually believe I've seen the perspective of the farmer looking at us. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. I know James is referring to an ancient farmer who goes out, he has to plant his seed, he's waiting for the first rains in November time, and then three or four months later, and he has to wait for this crop, right? But think about his perspective. He has no control, right? No control over anything he plants. He's entirely dependent, not just for the rain, but for the crops to grow, for God to grow it. But he can be patient, James says. Look at him. Why? Because he plants in hope. This is his father's world. And he's counting on the fact that God does not change. Malachi 3.6. I think we get this. We live in Indiana, right? Lots of corn all around us. We understand the crop cycles. But let me ask you, what would you think if you, walked, if you watched a farmer standing in his field with his fist up in the sky saying, God, will you hurry up already? I planted in May. I want my crop harvest in June. Give it to me now. You think there's something wrong with him, right? He doesn't understand farming. James says the farmer's life is characterized by patience, as should ours. Just as the farmer submits himself to God's timetable, so should we, and guess what? We're doing good here. 
We're finishing year four at Heart City Church. We planted, ah, and God sent a pandemic three months later. <laughs> we'll talk about suffering in just a minute. We'll put that aside. But we trusted God would bless. And we continued to sow the word. We continued to pray. We continued to wait patiently, knowing that our labors in the Lord will not be in vain, even if we don't see immediate results. And we have been seeing a harvest, and we will see a harvest if we continue on to trust God. That's why verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's your question. Is your heart established? Is your heart established? Not your mind, not your body. Is your heart established? The heart in the Bible is the you at the core of your being. It's where your desires, all those longings you have, your will, that's where it's found. Your devotion, what are you devoted to? That's your heart. And James says to establish it, and the Greek word here is sterizo. It means to strengthen. We get the word steroids from it. James is saying your hearts need spiritual steroids. And we know this. How do we know this? Because the trials and the afflictions often reveal our heart condition. We find ourselves impatient in afflictions. It's because our hopes are running by a different calendar or they're set on this world and this life. So what happens when the rug is pulled out from underneath you? When you've been taken advantage of? When you get ignored after you do something really good and you meant the best? When you're ridiculed? When you're rejected? When you're threatened? Do we take a deep breath, smile and say, Jesus is one day closer. Now, I'm not saying we don't grieve hurts and slights, but I'm asking this question about your heart. Are you shaken to your core? If so, then you have a heart condition. You actually love something more than you love Jesus, who is your life, Colossians 3, 4. If you're saying right now, uh-oh, Joel, I've got a heart condition. How do I strengthen my heart? The steroids are prayer and meditation on his word, meditation on his person, on his nearness, as James talks about here. So let's recite again our December meditation of the month, final time. Let's go ahead and say John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John tells us about the glory of the Father made real in our world in his son Jesus who came near. By the way, each and every one of us and all of your neighbors, we're all hardwired for glory. There are things we just ooh over, right? <laughs> I start talking about this and oh! Glory comes in all kinds of packages. We have nature glories, a beautiful sunset, the ocean. We have music glories. We have sports glories. We even have monster truck glories, right? Friends, none of them hold a candle to the glory of Jesus Christ who came in our flesh and will return again. You realize that the greatest gift God could ever give you 
is his glory in Jesus Christ. And that is a glory worth waiting on, and it's a glory that is certain that can never be taken away from you. Jesus' return will undo all the tragedies, all the trials, any heartbreak, any affliction you've been experiencing. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. Amen. John Calvin once said, afflictions ought to always be estimated by their end, by their end. He's saying that we can make sense of all these tragedies or at least be able to deal with them when we look at the final chapter and Jesus' return. We're going to sing a line, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Maybe you could have wrote hard if it rhymed. You recognize that? Uh, it's actually Horatio Spafford, the closing line of his hymn, It Is Well. You know, he penned it as his ship was passing through the very waters where his daughters had just drowned. Our lives, he understands, will only make sense when the author of history actually steps onto the stage. And then we'll understand what he's up to. And then we will know how much he loved us. Our second point, you move on, is satisfaction of steadfastness. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, you might be wondering, why would James suddenly move from patience to ask, warning us not to grumble? Because you and I are prone to do it in times of trial. Who here, raise your hand, has not had a bad day and then gone home and taken it out on an undeserving loved one? Who here? I better put my hand down before I get in trouble with my wife. We lash out at other Christians as well. That's James' point here. Other brothers and sisters who ought to be near and dear to our hearts. It's easy to do. Because you don't have to be around a fellow believer very long. And you can find all kinds of irritating things in them, right? And then we start reciting a little poem. To walk above with the saints we love, indeed that will be glory. To walk below with the saints we know, uh, that's another story. <laughs> but friends, that is not the sort of witness our world needs to see. We here at Heart City, we have to continue to be steady, long gamers. Our world needs to see we're steadfast in trials and in our love for one another, that we're satisfied with those God has placed around us. Satisfied with where he has them on their own journey because they're going through stuff you don't know anything about. And James offers us real incentive here. He says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is the big brother of that sister saint or brother that we're grumbling about. You know how protective big brothers are. Maybe you remember second grade and a small kid getting picked on, you know, the bigger kids putting them down. And then big older brother in the fifth grade shows up. <laughs> what happens then? 
I think that's scary. You do not want to be big brother Jesus catching you, putting down his little siblings. James knows that when we're in trials, we're prone to hurt others. Hurt people, hurt people, right? But James said, let us be like those whose words actually bless, bless others. And he points us to the prophets. Because the prophets spent their day speaking to people on behalf of God and suffering patiently for doing so. And they were blessed for their steadfastness. What? Wait a minute, James. <laughs> I, I was just reading some of the stories of the prophets. They were blessed, really. I mean, Jeremiah got thrown down into a well to die. Hosea, who God told to go marry a woman who was going to rip his heart out in front of everybody. I mean, John the Baptist got his head chopped off. James, how were they blessed? James actually remembers what his half-brother Jesus said in Luke 6, and 23. Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, on account of me. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus says that anyone who suffers for being a Christian, for living as he calls them to, who's seeking to honor people by living like Jesus would want, they are blessed. There is a full satisfaction in heaven for those who remain faithful to the end. There is a promised satisfaction in being steadfast. And James talks about steadfastness twice here. It's a close cousin to patience. The word, it's hupomeno. It means to stand tall, be able to stand tall when under pressure, all right? Be able to stand tall. And I keep those Olympic weightlifters in mind. Remember those guys? You see them in Olympics? They hold like 550 pounds above their head. How do they get to that point? Well, they first fix their eyes on a gold medal. That's the first thing they do. And then they let their trainer, day after day, put more and more weight on them. A little bit more weight today, more weight today, until, and more and more pressure, again and again, it's the trials, it's the testing. All that pain and hope of the gold that they'll get at the end. That's a picture, friends, of what God is doing in our lives. James actually said back in chapter 1, verse 12, you can look at it later, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There is a crown of life being held out to each and every one of us here today, a crown of life to those who love God and trust his testing, whatever he sends your way. Maybe you know some Christians who've been tested, some who've, who've died and you're just amazed at their life. How did they bear up under it all? Anybody like that? They remain steadfast in the faith, and you're just amazed by that? Hebrews 12 actually tells us they are now in heaven, and they are cheering you on. You know what I think they would say if they could actually speak into our lives? It's so worth it, Joel. It's worth every sacrifice you're going through right now. It is so worth it. There's an eternal weight of glory we're discovering now that far surpasses that light momentary affliction that you think is so big you're screaming about right now. Satisfaction is held forth. Full satisfaction. Better than anything in this world. Consider, read on them. Their witness in the trials, these prophets, and how it can encourage you. And then, 
consider how your steadfastness can encourage those in our community around us. How many of our loved ones, how many of our neighbors do we see right now whose knees are just buckling because of the weight of the world and everything they're carrying? And it's because they don't have any real reward in sight and also because they don't have the Holy Spirit, so they can't bear the spiritual fruit. And our witness in trials, as we remain steadfast, will lead folks to ask you for the reason for the hope within you. That's happened to me. Sometimes that's the best witness I've ever had. Not anything I said or tried to convince, but just how I handled the situation where I was wronged. Now, that doesn't mean we do it perfectly. I'm so glad James gives us Job here. <laughs> Remember Job, who's attacked by Satan, and God permitted it? <laughs> Poor guy. And Job, How was Job about that? Was he patient? Uh-uh. No. <laughs> he cursed the day of his birth. He argued with his friends. He protested to no end. He kept just screaming at God. But he kept looking to God. That's the difference. He was steadfast. One of my living heroes is Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a woman who suffered a horrible diving accident when she was a child and she became a paraplegic. So for over 50 years now, she's been in a wheelchair. Yet despite the pain, despite the suffering, she has remained steadfast in her faith. She says she views suffering as a textbook that teaches me who I really am. Do you think of trials that way? And she says, whenever I fidget in my confinement, when she's sitting in a wheelchair, I can almost hear Satan taunt God as he did with Job. Look at her, see? She doesn't really trust you. Test her with more pain and you'll see her true colors. When the devil insists God's people only serve him when life is easy, I have the high honor of proving him wrong. To be on the battlefield where the mightiest forces in the universe converge in warfare, by God's grace, I'm all in. She's all in. And she's seen something, that's James' point here, that Job never saw. The purpose of the Lord. Realize that most people's problem when they're facing trials and they're just flipping out is because they don't see any purpose in it. It's the purposelessness that they struggle with. It's the way we look at the trials. Job didn't see the purpose in his trials. What was happening behind heaven's curtain? But we actually read the story and we see that God was in complete control and God was holding on to Job. He's like, he can't touch his light, Satan. I won't let you have that. And God knew that Job could bear the weight. And he was waiting to reward him. And he rewarded him, not just in this life, but in glory. James is telling us that when we find ourselves in darkness, and we can't see what God is doing, when the pressure is almost unbearable, remember the steadfastness of Job. In Job, we can see the purpose of the Lord. The other thing we need to know God's purpose, but we also need to know who God is. Who is God for you in these trials? Compassionate and merciful. God didn't put you in the oven and then walk away and forget, oops, I, I guess I left him in the stove too long. No, he's compassionate and merciful. James actually coins a brand new word, polus blagnos. It means Tender compassion, overflowing. Friends, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit care for you deeply. You see that God is with us and for us in our journey through yes, a veil of tears. I think the way we need to see it, when you feel the pressures, that is God 
saying, child, I am pressing you right now into the mold of my son. I'm making you more and more like Jesus. And it hurts. But wait till the finished product comes out. Our final point, I'll be brief, is truth telling. The telling of the truth. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I don't take this to be the most important of all James' concerns. Rather, he's summing this up here, but it is a concern. It's related to how we live in this world before a watching world waiting on the coming of our Lord Jesus. And James is not saying, by the way, don't ever take an oath in a court of law. James is saying, actually, if you were to take an oath, you should be able to say to the judge, uh, Your Honor, I'll take an oath for you, but I really don't have to because I'm a Christian. Anything that I say you can trust will be the truth. I don't say that to the judge. I don't want you to be in trouble. But, but James' point is we should be a people of integrity because it reveals who Jesus is to the world. Jesus is the truth. The truth. He's full of grace and truth. Remember we just quoted that from John 1.14. From the time we're little, I know we're not only prone to complain in trials, but we're also prone to lie because we want things around us to be just want our people to believe us or accept us. Children, I remember a little rhyme when I was a kid, a little rhyme promise. I cross my heart, hope to die, I'll poke a needle in my eye. Now you must believe me. I always remember two things after that. Number one, nobody was convinced, and often because the kid had his finger behind his back, and fingers crossed, right? Second, I never saw any of those promise makers looking like pirates afterwards, you know, wearing eye patches because they actually went through with the eye jabbing, right? But we like folks to hear what we say and be impressed with our words, to be able to manipulate situations how we want, right? But friends, we can't be dishonest. We can't be making promises that we're not going to keep. That's why a simple yes and a simple no should be all that we need to say. Remember, we're going to confess in a little bit that we believe Jesus is coming to judge us, the living and the dead. And I'm going to be real frank here. Fewer and fewer Christians today think that keeping their word matters to Jesus. Dear souls, it does matter. When Jesus returns, every soul is going to be stopped dead in their tracks. And they're going to see the majestic one riding in on a white horse, and you know what he's called? Faithful and true. Revelation 19. How many hearts are going to melt in that moment? How many people are going to fall apart when they realize that the vows that they made to spouses, the vows that they made to the church, that they actually matter much to Jesus. We need to be careful so that our yes means yes, our no means no. Pastor Joel, you're getting kind of heavy as we end 2023 here. I was reading Ezekiel 33 and 34 just the other day. Friends, I'm not going to stand before the Lord Jesus and have him say to me, Joel, why did you not warn people? Why did you not warn the sheep that I love and care about? Why didn't you encourage them on their path to be truth tellers for my sake. I must speak the truth to you about how Jesus wants you to speak the truth to the world. And here's the thing. Here's the encouragement part. That was the warning. Here's the encouragement. You can do it. You and I can be truth tellers. 
Do you know how you became, came to be a Christian? Back up to James chapter 1, verse 18. You were given birth by the word of truth. You were birthed by this very word of truth. And by staying in that word that gave you life, you can be a truth teller. And our friends and neighbors need truth telling like they need our patience, like they need our steadfastness. Our world needs right now more than ever people of integrity whose word you can trust. Do you think folks would find truth telling to be refreshing as we enter another election year? Pregnant pause and remember 2020. So let's commit in closing to tell truth telling in 2024 and when we blow it and we will to confessing we've blown it and then thanking God that he sent Jesus to be the man of truth and integrity in our place and to die for our sins on the cross. And friends, we have just an outstanding opportunity to show our postmodern world that there is truth. There is truth. And Heart City Church is going to be a place where they're going to get multiple exposures of the truth-giving, life-giving gospel. It's going to be in a safe place. And over time, that's going to bear great fruit, steadfastness. We can show those walking on shifting sand. There's something solid that we can build our lives upon. We serve a God who does not and cannot lie, Titus 1-2. Jesus is the truth, John 14-6. And we need to, not just for their sake, but guess what? You can do it for your own sake. Because there's a great reward the moment Jesus returns. It's going to be glorious. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this year. You've actually brought us here into this time and this place, and you've been so, so, so gracious to us, compassionate and merciful, and your steadfast love has never ceased. And as we uh, leave this place, and if you should tarry, Lord Jesus, and we enter into 2024, I pray, will you give us your spirit a new measure? Help us to bear the fruits of patience with people, to be steadfast in trials, and also to be people of our word that we might show forth what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and show just the most attractiveness that could be found on this planet because we are your children being made more and more like Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We walk out of here confidently knowing we're the most powerful people on the planet, not because of anything in us, but because of the Almighty that dwells in our hearts. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.